you have your Bibles this morning, if you'll turn to Psalm 100, uh, we're wrapping up this uh, great passage. I, I don't know about you today, but I have, and God has really used this uh, for me in the season of life I'm in, and uh, just loving on on the Word and just, just what He says to us. And so today we're going to close out, and, and I hope that you come uh, really excited about who our God is, uh, because he is an amazing God. I want to read all of Psalm 100 to you, and I'm going to ask you to do something I normally don't ask you. I'm going to ask you to stand up, uh, and I want you to read along with me today. I want us to read this together, and uh, man, let's read it with enthusiasm, because uh, this is our God, and uh, man, what a privilege it is just to speak his name. So, Follow with me the best you can. I'm going to start. I just want you to read. Uh, if the left is a little bit off than the right, that's okay. We're just going to go at it uh, and just be excited about this Psalm 100. Ready? Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we are so thankful uh, just of who you are. God, just in these moments that we have, uh, Lord, just to open up your word, God, I pray that our hearts and our minds will tune out everything else, uh, Lord, that's going on in our lives. God, that we would just, uh, just erase all the distractions. And God, we'll focus on the fact that today, sitting here this morning in Warren Community Church, that we have your attention. God, what an awesome privilege it is just to know that. And so, God, I just pray that we will hear what you have to say. And today, God, if there are Christians in the room who are struggling, Lord, who have walked in with, with a heavy burden, God, that, that is in their lives, things that are going on, God, I pray that today that they know that you are our God. God, if there's somebody here today who is lost and do not know you as their personal Savior, uh, God, I pray that today you become more than just a, a person we talk about or a song we sing, but God, that you become real in their lives. And today, God, they uh, become, uh, Lord, your children through the blood of Jesus that he paid for on the cross. God, that today would be the day of salvation for them. Uh, God, we want to celebrate with heaven today. And so, God, I'm asking you if it would be your will in this place today, uh, God, that you would save someone, uh, Lord, in our midst. Lord, we praise you, we love you, and we thank you that you are our God. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated uh, this morning, and I am so thankful uh, just saying this, that I get to do this with Pastor Ken uh, I love the exchange that many of you don't get to see during the week uh, that we have just talking back and forth about the Word of God and what God is showing us. And it is just a real privilege to, to week after week uh, do that and then, and then preach. Uh, I always get nervous the week after he preaches because uh, he just last week just brought it. And, uh, but I'm thankful to have him in my life uh, helping me as I grow in ministry as well. So thank you, Pastor Ken. 
just for this great opportunity. But this is our God, and I want you to think about this. For the Lord is good. How many can stop right there? We don't have to go any farther. We can just give invitation because God's already done so many amazing things in your life. Our God is good. Uh, mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all uh, generations. I love what A.W. Tozer says about uh, the goodness of God. He says, the goodness of God is infinitely more wonderful than we will ever be able to comprehend. So in your wildest imagination of how good God is, it doesn't scratch the surface of how good he really is. And in this, this quote from Brennan Manning, if you don't know who Brennan Manning is, there's a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel that talks about Rich Mullins. Uh, this book is amazing. talks about grace and mercy a lot. This is what he says. We should be astonished at the goodness of God, stunned that he should bother to call us by name, our mouths wide open at his love, bewildered that at this very moment we are standing on holy ground. Man, God's goodness should have us with our jaws on the floor. Uh, that's my interpretation of his quote. Uh, the Lord is good. And I just want to talk about two attributes of God today, uh, the goodness in his mercy and the goodness in his faithfulness. So the first thing is the goodness of God's mercy. Notice what it says, the Lord is good, but his mercy is everlasting. Charles Spurgeon said, God's mercy is so great that you may sooner drain the sea of its water or deprive the sun of its light or make space too narrow than diminish the great mercy of God. God's mercy is not something God has. It is who God is. God's mercy is something he is. It, it is literally one of his attributes. His mercy didn't come into being. It always was. It is eternal. It is infinite. And I love the, 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 the definition of mercy. It literally, it, it just means stooping uh, in kindness to an inferior. So here's God in heaven. He's high and lifted up. He looks down. As the Bible says, when the children of Israel was crying out, he looked down. And the Bible says he heard their cry. That was mercy. It wasn't that God had to muster up mercy. Mercy was already in action when they began to cry. God heard them. And so it's stooping to an inferior or having pity upon or actively compassionate. And this is on full display in Exodus 34. And I just want to read this to you today. Exodus 34, 6 through 8, or 6 and 7 says this, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord... The Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and in truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon their children and their children's children to the third and fourth generations. God, he says, is merciful, he is loving, he is kind, and all those things. And there's a difference in having compassion and being compassionate. Having compassion is this, seeing a need and it touching you. How many of you ever uh, just watching TV or hearing something on the radio or talking to a friend, you hear a need, maybe it's a child uh, that needs help, maybe it's an orphan uh, that we need to care for, maybe it's a, a widow, or maybe it's just a need in the community, maybe it's your family or friends, and you hear this story and it touches you. And you're like, man, I really, man, my heart hurts for that family. 
My, my heart hurts for that, that individual. My heart hurts for that couple. That's having compassion. Being compassionate, though, is seeing a need and acting on it. It's when you see that need and it pulls at your heart that you just don't go sit down and hope that everything gets better for those people. It's that you become actively working in helping them. Uh, God didn't just feel compassion toward us. He was compassionate toward us. Uh, there's an old song if you are in here. Is any Southern gospel music people in here today? I mean, we have one and two. I was raised in Southern Gospel playing drums all over the place. Uh, how many of you ever heard of Squire Parsons? Oh, yeah, I see a hand in the back back there. Squire Parsons wrote a song called He Came to Me. He came to me when I could not get to where he was. He came to me. That's why he died on Calvary when I could not come to where he was. He came to me. That's mercy. That is God not just looking at your need, not just seeing that you were a sinner and the only way that you would ever have a relationship with him. That was not enough. What he did is he came to me in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, coming. We just celebrated the birth of Jesus and dying on a cross so that you and I could be saved. That's not just feeling sorry for someone. That's stooping to where they are and coming and helping and being compassionate toward them. Are you with me? the goodness of, of God's mercy. So his mercy is active. In Exodus 2, I want to read this too because I got some, some pages I want to turn today and read. I've learned that with all the technology, we just don't turn the pages enough anymore. There's something special in a church service about hearing pages flip. I don't know about you, that's the old-fashioned in me. So take your Bibles and turn to Exodus 2 with me. I will be patient and wait till you get there. Uh, I usually jump ahead and leave you, but I'm not today. I want you to stay right here with me. Exodus 2. Uh, when you get there in the back, say amen. All right. Somebody said amen, so we're going to hit drive again. Exodus 2, uh, 23 through 25 says this. Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, that the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of their bondage. Look at 24. So God heard their groaning, mercy, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. That's mercy. That is mercy in action. Now, turn with me to Exodus 3, or you, if you need to, in verse 7. So, Exodus 3 is God coming to Moses in the burning bush, uh, telling him that he was going to be the ones who were, was going to lead the children of Israel out of the promised land. Look at this conversation. Verse 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and all them. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with, the, uh, with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will what? Send you 
to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Mercy in action. God heard their cry. God remembered their covenant. But God didn't stop there. He looked down. He stooped down. He had pity on them, which means compassion. And he came down and he sent Moses to deliver them. You see the same thing in Matthew, in chapter 9 of Matthew, when Jesus is looking out and all the people are coming and he's telling his disciples the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. And it says he saw the multitude and he was moved with compassion. He didn't just see them and feel sorry for them. The Bible says that it moved him. And and the word is so strong there that it literally meant it was gut-wrenching for him to look out and see all those people. And then in Mark chapter 6, 34, 37, at the feeding of the 5,000, it says, when he, Jesus, saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion for them. And then in verse 37, he says, you give them something to eat. So God saw them, saw their need, had compassion on them, and then he was moved and he acted upon that thing. His mercy is new and active every day. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, we should have that ingrained in our heart. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Thank you, Jesus, that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Is that not our God? His mercy is new and active every day. If you really want to have fun one day, turn to Psalm 136 and read it. It is absolutely amazing. 26 verses of talking about his mercy endures forever. God's mercy is him confronting human guilt and suffering. Why? Because mercy listens and mercy hears. Uh, The cry from the pig pen of the prodigal was mercy operating. When David is crying out in Psalm 51 over his sin, it is mercy operating. Samson, when he cries out, Lord, remember me one more time, God's mercy is operating. The woman at the well, God's mercy is operating. The thief on the cross, God's mercy. And Jesus coming and bleeding, dying, giving his life for you and for me, is God's mercy in action. If the mercy of God wasn't active, if it wasn't stooping, if it wasn't withholding the punishment that we all deserve, we would be in a lot of trouble and would have perished a long time ago. So there's good news today. The cruel dictator, man, this is the wicked murderer, the self-righteous church member, we've got to add them, the wayward child, the cheating husband, the unfaithful wife, the drug addict, the blackest of hearts and the lowest of pits are all recipients of God's grace. But it doesn't mean that all of them will be saved. It just means that God's not willing that any should perish but all come to repentance. God's mercy is poured out upon all mankind. His mercy is not just active. His mercy is near. Jeremiah 23, 32 says this, Am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God far off? I don't know about you, but I am thankful that God is near. And in Psalm 103 is a psalm of David just praising God for his mercy. And in Psalm 103, uh, verse 13, it says this, As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. 
And the word pitied there is the verb form of mercy, and it is compassionate. So God compassionates us is the way it would read. And that mercy is amazing. Uh, there's a story that I read just this week about a, a father and a daughter uh, right after World War I. Uh, the United States sent money over uh, because of, there was such a, a dismantling of orphanages and all those, and they were wanting to help the orphans that were in need. So they sent money over to Europe, and they would help uh, these children. Uh, this dad come walking up one day uh, with his daughter. She was uh, a stomach bloated, eyes bugged out, skin, uh, just her face sunk in. Uh, she was starving, malnutrition, just he could not take care of her. And the dad takes her to these people who are running this, this place, and he says, I hear that you will help uh, families or help little children who are orphaned. And the lady said, yes, sir, we do. She says, but both parents have to be dead. Uh, we cannot help her if you are alive. And the dad said, but I, I can't work. I'm older. I'm starving. I've been in prison. I've been beaten. I've been in war. And there's no way for me to take care of her. Would you please take her and please feed my daughter? And the lady says, sir, I would love to do that, but we cannot help your daughter. So the dad looks at her and he says, so what you're telling me that if I'm dead, that you'll take my daughter. And they said, yes, both parents are deceased. So he bent down, as the story goes, and he looked at his daughter, and with big tears in his eyes, he took her, and he placed her hand in the hand of the lady, and he walks outside, and he committed suicide. Why did he do that? Because he pitied and had compassion on his daughter. He did it because he knew that the only way that she would find help was that he died. And please don't take this the wrong way because I'm not insinuating in any kind of way that God committed suicide. But God pitied us. And God knew that the only way that we could come to him, the only way that we would find the help that we need for the sin that so destroyed our lives and the sin that separated us, the only way to do that was going to the greatest extent of mercy, and that was dying for us. That is a God who is near, a God who is so close to you, closer than your very heartbeat, and cares enough about you and me that he was willing to lay down his life so that you and I could get the help that we so deserve. So Jesus stooped down. He didn't just look from heaven and say, Father, I feel so bad for them. No, he came and he stooped down on our behalf. This is our God. This, this is a God that we should be excited about. This is the God that we celebrate, the one that we sing this morning, all hail King Jesus. Don't just let it be a Sunday morning service where you hear the words. Let it be something that gets down deep into your heart and understand that if it wasn't for God's mercy, we would have perished a long time ago. But because he's merciful and because he's gracious, today we have an opportunity to know him on a very personal level. And so the goodness of God's mercy. But then there's the goodness of his faithfulness. Notice what the last part says. And his truth endures to all generations. Now, the word truth there is translated faithfulness. 
So that's why I have the goodness of God's faithfulness. Uh, Deuteronomy 7, 9, listen to this. Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenants and mercy. Listen to this. For a thousand generations. That's a long time. With those who love him and keep his commandments. This, is, this should comfort us. And what I believe this verse is saying is that God's not running out of mercy anytime soon. I mean, his mercy, his faithfulness, God is faithful uh, to us and he endures. God is never out of date. Regardless of the seasons, he is the same. He is not the latest fad. He is always relevant. He doesn't change when the White House does. He is not tossed to and fro. Our God is steady. He is sure. And he remains the same. His faithfulness endures. What I love is God will never act inconsistent of himself. God imitates nobody. God doesn't have, a, have to look around and go, man, 2023, this is the happening thing. This is the way they dress. This is the music they listen to. Man, this is the most uh, uh, best-selling book on the New York Times. Man, I need to get in and jump in on that while, while it's good. No, God never imitates no one. He doesn't have to because he is God. And then he's not influenced by no one, right? Man cannot uh, reach up to God and go, I think you should do it this way, Lord. I mean, you need to listen to us. We're here on earth, and we know we've done the latest statistics, and we know what's happening, and, you know, you need to listen and maybe do it this way or this way. No, God does not need to be influenced by anyone because God is faithful. And that's what I love about him. A.W. Tozer says this about God's faithfulness. If God changed in any way, he'd have to change in one of three directions, from better to worse, from worse to better, or from one kind of being to another. Because God is absolutely perfectly holy, he couldn't be anything less than holy, so he couldn't change from better to worse. And God couldn't get any holier than he is, so he couldn't change from worse to better. Also, God being God and not a creature cannot change the kind of being he is. God's perfection secures this. God's faithfulness also secures it because God can never cease to be who he is and what he is. God's faithfulness endures to all generations. This is our God. This is who he is. Every thought God speaks, every word he uh, speaks, every thought he thinks acts in accordance to who God is. His faithfulness, his wisdom, his goodness, his love, his mercy, his omnipresence, his omniscience, his, his, all of those things. God acts in accordance to that, and he will never change. So God is faithful to his children. And we should say really a big amen there. You know why? Spoiler alert. Just because your daddy in heaven is perfect doesn't mean you are. And what that says to me is that we make a mess of life a lot of times. We sin. I mean, we do. It's just, it's who we are. We are still fighting the nature of Adam. And so often we are not faithful, but God is faithful. And he is faithful, according to 1 John 1, 9, to forgive us our sins, but also to cleanse us from any and all unrighteousness. And that's why I love Scripture, because Scripture helps us understand that we have a way out. 
1 John 2, 1, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation of our sins, and not for ours only. It's for the whole world. There's enough blood flowing from the cross of Calvary, from the veins of Emmanuel, to cleanse the whole world of sin. And that's what he's saying. So the blood of Jesus, I just got to thinking about this this week. The blood of Jesus, when it was presented, it overwhelmed justice. Because in re, it, it, the truth of the matter is, is you and I do not deserve to be saved. We don't deserve it. But the blood of Jesus, when shed on Calvary and presented, overwhelmed justice so much that justice came to our side of things. And so now, whenever we do sin, we confess that sin, and justice is there going, yeah, by the blood of Jesus, you're clean, and you are forgiven. And so God is faithful. So when we sin and return home from the pig pen, there is nothing standing in between us and the Father because the blood of Jesus swept it away. And that should move any of us to confession. That should move any of us to repentance. To go, man, listen, I'm going to come to myself. I'm going to get up. I'm going to shake off all of the, the, the pig stink, and I'm going to go home to my father. And I want to go, and I want to be there. And when you get there, you know what he does? He swept it away. God is faithful to the sinner. This is good news. How do you know that? Well, Romans 10, 13 says, Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you have no money, come buy and eat. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they should be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they should be as wool. God is faithful to the sinner because he just keeps inviting us to come. And every time we show up, up, he is there. If you're thirsty, he'll give you water. If you're hungry, he'll give you bread. If you're tired, he'll give you rest. And it won't cost you a thing because God is faithful. Amen. And God is faithful to those who struggle. And I don't know about you, but we all struggle. I struggle. We all go through things in life. And you may be here this morning and you're just in a struggle. Uh, maybe it is fear, maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's doubt. Maybe you're struggling with discouragement or disappointment or temptation. And you may spend your days asking questions like this. Will it ever be okay? Does God even care? Is God mad at me? Will my life ever be different? Can I really be free? And I'm here to tell you this morning that the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his faithfulness endures to all generation. The same God that showed up in the garden will show up for you. He's still drying up seas. He's still slaying giants. He's still feeding the multitudes. He's still healing diseases. He's still delivering the captives. He's setting free the prisoner. He's still opening jail cells. He's still high and lifted up. Demons still flee at his name, and the devil bows at his feet. Waves stop on his command, and stars shine when he says so. God is faithful. 
And if you've ever journeyed from home, according to 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself is what it says. And I got to thinking about that with the prodigal. And just stay with me for a second. When that young man left home, and he went to his dad, his father, and he said, I want my portion of, of the inheritance. The Bible says that the dad gave it to him, and of course we know the story. The son went off, the Bible says, in riotous living, just blowing everything, living just a, a terrible life. And when he comes to himself, the Bible says that when the dad saw him, what did he do? He ran. And I personally believe that there wasn't a day that went by while he was gone that that dad at least once a day, maybe more, would step out on his porch or walk to the, the highest point in his yard and look out across the horizon just to see if his son was coming. And I believe that. And what really struck me about that situation is this. I believe that his dad knew he would come home. I believe that the robe was already pressed. I believe that the ring was shined up already. I believe the sandals were waiting and the calf was chosen. You know why? Because the dad was faithful. And he knew that when his son came home, he was going to be ready. Is that not the way God is? Is that not the way God's saying, come home, come home, ye who are weary, come home? God is faithful, and he is waiting, and he is looking for you, longing for the day that you come across the horizon back into his arms. I believe the robe is waiting, the ring is shining, the sandals are ready, and the calf chosen. Why? Because God's faithful. If you're living discouraged, 1 Thessalonians 5.24 is a great reminder that he who calls you is faithful, he will do it. So if you're in there and you're going, man, I just don't know if things will ever change in my life. I'm so discouraged. I don't want to get up in the mornings. I don't want to put one, step, one foot in front of the other. I just want to lay down and give up. Don't. Because he who called you is faithful and he will do it. Whatever, the Bible says that he who has started a good work in me will what? Complete it. Amen. He's faithful to complete it. Amen. And so have hope. And if you're in here today and, and you're just struggling, hang on, it's not over. Right. I, if you don't believe me, like when we get to heaven, I don't know what your plans are. Mine's not to kick up gold dust. I mean, I just sometimes struggle with that whole thing wants to see Jesus. That's first and foremost. That's priority. It's to, to lock eyes with my Savior. And ever how long that exchange takes place, I'm good with it because I'm not going anywhere and he's not either. But man, I want to sit down and have some conversations with people that have, we read about. I want to sit down with the woman with the issue of blood and say, really, how, how was it when you were told there was no hope? What, what, what made you get up that day that you heard Jesus was coming? And what, what caused you to fight through that crowd knowing that if you just touched the hem of his garment, you would be made whole? I want to ask her. Because I believe that he who was faithful will complete it. I, I, I want to ask the woman at the well. 
Everybody in the, in the whole city couldn't stand you. So much so that you were having to go get water at an odd time when everybody else was gone because they hated you so much. And what was it like to encounter Jesus? I believe the reason he had to go through Samaria is because God's faithful and his mercy is everlasting and he is good. And I think about people like blind Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus is sitting on the, on the wayside and there's probably thousands, hundreds, if not thousands of crippled and lame and blind people there begging for alms. And the Bible says that when he heard that Jesus was coming, he started shouting his name. And, and the church people of the day was telling him to shut up. Like, be quiet, man. You don't need to bother him. And the Bible says he screamed even louder. Don't, don't you just like that, that person? It's just like, it don't matter what we say. You know, you got to be a little more dignified. You're saved now. You can't act like, you know, you got to calm down. And they just going to get louder because they just love Jesus. And he was just shouting. He was just shouting out the name and saying, please. And they were like, just be quiet. And this is what I love about it is the dude was blind, but the Bible says he stood up and shed his coat and went to Jesus. Now, you can explain that away and say if somebody led him. I believe by faith he made it to Jesus. Why was Jesus walking that way? It's because God's faithful. Why, why did Jesus come to the earth and die because God's faithful. Well, why did Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, tug at your heart's door one day when you heard the gospel? Because God is faithful. And he will complete what he set out to do. So I just want to say it's not over because God is faithful. And he is faithful to all of us. But not only is he faithful as, as far as uh, it endures, his faithfulness is transcendent. No, notice what it says. His truth endures to what? All generations. Psalm 117.2, For his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endures forever. It does really mean he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this is something we can count on. It is so good that you can bank your eternity on it. And we spend a lot of time, let's think about this, we spend a lot of time accumulating things. Uh, we, we accumulate wealth and land, we accumulate stuff. And, and then whenever we get to the end of our lives, uh, most people have a wheel that spells out how I want to distribute this, how I want to give away what I've accumulated. And so people pass down heirlooms and real estate, they pass down money. And people live lives worthy of a legacy for their family and for that to be passed down. And I would say I am by no means against it. As a matter of fact, I believe it's the right thing to do. But just think about this with me. What if the greatest thing you could leave your family would be to ingrain in their heart that God is faithful? That's better than land. That's greater than money. All of that stuff that families fight over. Just to simply tell your family that, listen, I don't know what you're going to go through the rest of your life. I don't know where 
your journey is going to lead you, but I can tell you one amazing thing is that God is faithful. And not only that, his faithfulness endures to all generations. So what you do is you tell your children to tell their children to make sure that it's passed down to their children so their children would know that God is faithful. I was told that my entire life. I had a 104-year-old great-granddad. He died when he was 104. You know what? They asked him at the end of his life, he's called, we called him Papa Ed. Hey, Papa, if you could give us any advice on your life, what would you tell us? That's what he said. God is faithful and work hard. <laughs> That's what he said. That was, his, that was his 104 years. He had summed it up into that. And then my grandfather just poured it into me constantly about the goodness and faithfulness of God. And then my dad poured it into. My dad's still pouring it into us today, pouring it into my children. And I want to pour it into their children because that's the greatest thing we could leave. His faithfulness transcends legacies and heritage. It transcends stuff. It transcends time. It transcends all of that. You know what the word transcends really means is to go above or to go beyond. And so no matter how, how close-minded or how narrow-minded we can be, God's faithfulness transcends every situation and circumstance for thousands, he said, of generations. You know how amazing that, just that verse is? I did the research, and you guys, his, history buffs, correct me if I'm wrong. They say their best estimate that there's 161 generations between us and Adam. And in Deuteronomy 7, 9, God says, I'm going to be faithful for a thousand generations. That's a really long time. And that's a really amazing God to say that. Isn't his word like just so special and amazing? So how do you get this close to this God? This is our God. Uh, he is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his faithfulness endures to all generations. How do you get so close to a God who is so high we can't fathom him? He's so lofty our words can't describe him. He, he, is, he is so amazing that we fall down in fear and trembling. We can't climb up to him. We can't pray our way to him. There's only one way. And it is the cross of Jesus Christ. That, that's how we get near to this God. A.W. Tozer again says this, Muslims can search for him a thousand years and not find him. Hindus can cut themselves, lie on beds of glass and walk through fire and never find him. Protestants can join churches and go on mission trips, still not find him. Philosophers can rise on rung after rung of lofty thought and not find him. Poets can soar on imagination and never find him. Musicians can compose heavenly music and never find him. He can only be found at the cross and through Christ. And this reason why we can get close to this God who is so faithful. So this morning in closing, as I was really praying how to close out, not just this verse, but this whole series. And I really, I really wrestled with it. And this is what God just kind of spoke to my heart. One pervading thought. What does this say? 
As Pastor Ken said, and he and I talked about this the other day, and both of us agree that this is a, a millennial song. So I said to him the other day, I said, do you really think, I said, that there's a possibility that in the millennial reign of Christ that we're going to sing this passage? I mean, it's a psalm, and they sing it, and so it would be great to sing this psalm. And if this is true, and we're going to be celebrating his mercy and making that joyful shout and coming into the Lord and knowing that he is good and entering into his gates and blessing his name, if we're going to do that in the millennial reign and we're in 2023, then, then there's one word that just hit me, hope. Hope. If God is good and his mercy is everlasting and his faithfulness endures to all generations and, and, and we're going to be singing this and, and reading this in, in, in the years and the millennial, then there's hope. Yes, and so I want to close with this today. Newspapers are full of bad news. There's economic uncertainties, persistent threats of terrorism. Many Americans are pessimistic, not only about today's, uh, about the nation's future, but their own as well. Friends are not faithful. Marriages are not stable. Streets are not safe. There's financial struggle, job problems, health problems. Life is depressing for many people. But there is hope. There's hope in his name is Jesus. And I don't know how you came in here this morning. You may have come in riding on a really big wave and things are going great in your life, or you may have come in and your wave has crashed and you are caught under the undertow. But I just want to tell you this morning, you are not out of the reach of hope. You are not out of the reach of Jesus. Your circumstances are not out of his reach. Your diagnosis is not out of his reach. Your marriage, your wayward child, your broken relationship is not out of the reach of hope. Hopelessness is the scream of the enemy to make you quit. But Jesus is hope. We have hope because he is good and his mercy is everlasting and his faithfulness endures to all generation. Hope not only desires something, hope expects it. So we just don't desire that things will get better because Jesus is still high and lifted up and he is faithful. We expect it. Some people go, oh, America's gone too far. I don't think there will never be a great awakening. I expect it. You go, well, why? Because God's still high and lifted up and Jesus is still right there. People say all the time, like, man, you know what? God's not still doing those miracles, and he's not healing people. I'm just crazy enough to believe that if you got a cancer diagnosis, if God wants to heal you and you have faith, then we pray that God will heal you. I just still believe it. People say, oh, that marriage, you need to throw it away. I don't believe that. I believe that God can restore it. Why? Because God is faithful, and as long as God is faithful, which we already heard, endures for all generations, then there leads me to one thing, there's hope. And our hope is anchored in Jesus. He is our hope. He is our salvation. He is our joy. And just to bring this light really into 2023, our hope is not centered in likes. Our hope is not centered in shares. Our hope is not centered in tweets and retweets and those tweet and all the other tweets. 
It's not centered in reels. It's not on TikTok. It's not on a text thread. Our hope rests in Jesus, who is good, whose mercy is everlasting, and whose faithfulness endures to all generations. So I just want to say, I don't know how you walked in here this morning, but you can walk out of here with hope. Why? Because God is good, and He is our God, and He is faithful, and He is true. So today, whatever you need, He's here. And I encourage you today, church, as we close out this series, serve the Lord with gladness. If you need just to bow at the feet of this amazing God, our God, not just some God, but our God, He's near. And you come today. We'll pray with you. We'll go sit and talk with you as long as we need to talk with you. Grab a friend, grab a family member, grab a church, whatever you need to do. But don't walk out of here today without hope because he's here and he endures and he is waiting. So, Father, we just come to you. And God, we're thankful that you are good. Praise you. God, we are thankful that your mercy is everlasting. We are so thankful that your faithfulness endures to all generations. So, God, let us be a people of hope. Regardless of the news, regardless of the media, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of that voicemail that we're afraid to pick up because the doctor called, God, we have you and we have hope. And so, God, in this room today, Lord, we just turn this over to you. God, we are going to step out of the way and just let you do what you do and trust that today your word will not return unto you void. And so, God, we praise you and thank you for what you have already done and what you will do in these next few moments. In Jesus' name, amen.